welcome to the second series of Founder Chats, the podcast from Be Purple, the University of Brighton's entrepreneurship support service. In our first series, we talked mostly about the early stages of startup, and I interviewed eight diverse founders to get their tips and advice on starting a business. In series two, we look at what happens once your business is up and running, and we look to the experiences of entrepreneurs behind some well-established businesses. In this episode, I meet Kelvin Newman, founder of one of the world's biggest digital marketing conferences, Brighton SEO. Kelvin started Brighton SEO in a room above a pub in 2007. Today, the event attracts 5,000 attendees twice a year and uses a slightly bigger venue, the Brighton Centre. Kelvin explains how he got interested in SEO, how Brighton SEO has been able to grow, and given that most people who attend the conference attend for free, how Brighton SEO makes money. Here's Kelvin. Right, hi Kelvin. Hi. Thank you for coming down to the university. Cheers for having me. Um, do you want to start by telling us about Rough Agenda, yep. um, the company that you that you founded, yep. uh, what it is, um, how long it's been going, yep. what its history is yep. today? Yep. So Rough Agenda is essentially an events, um, conference and events business um, that ha- run a series of digital marketing conferences and training days. The biggest of those and the one that we're most well known for, but also delivers most of the money that makes us work as a business, is one called Brighton SEO. So that, as you might be able to guess, takes place in Brighton and covers SEO, which is a specific uh, digital marketing discipline covering search engine optimization. So the process of um, technical and creative marketing that you do in order to perform better in the search engines. So that's got elements of kind of web design and web development, elements of social media marketing and PR, um, of content strategy and copywriting and how all those sort of merge together. So yeah, Brighton SEO takes place twice a year, uh, just over 4,000 attendees per event uh, from 40 different countries, which is always kind of quite gratifying that people are coming from all over the world to come to Brighton as a city to, to learn and talk about search. And yeah, it started out as half a dozen people meeting in an upstairs room of a pub. Got too big for that, we moved to a bigger venue, moved to a bigger venue, and yeah, we quickly found ourselves getting these, you know, thousand plus attendees, now we're getting 4,000. Um, coming to learn about it and initially we used to release the tickets on a first come first serve basis and um, last April they sold out in four minutes uh, sorry last September they sold out in four minutes last April um, they crashed the ticketing platform when we released the tickets um, the free to register ones and this time our upcoming event we've moved to a ballot and we had yeah you know um, just over 5,000 people after 3,000 tickets that were available on these right. these free ballots. So yeah, it's a really interesting story. It's been kind of, we do it twice a year. Um, there's training that goes on, there's sponsorship that goes on. And yeah, it's a kind of quite interesting business that's, you know, um, you know, grown um, quickly, but not crazily so, mm-hmm. um, and in a manageable way that's, yeah, that does a good job of kind of meeting the needs that our customers have got and working well for all of us who are involved in the business. Okay. Um, obviously, our, our audience here at Be Purple is mm. students and graduates, mm. so it's quite interesting to know sort of what happened to you mm. after university. I know you went to Sussex University yes. yourself, um, so tell us a bit about your career yeah. journey sort of after leaving Sussex. Yeah, so I went to the University of Sussex um, 2002 to 2005, and I did media studies there. Um, kind of, they've got two media studies, or they had two media studies classes: they had practice and theory, which was kind of a bit more for 
practical one and then media studies that was the you know in the context of media studies a little bit more academic than the mm. the practice and theory side of things so that was really good really enjoyed that got really heavily involved in um, lots of student activities uh, particularly um, URF which is the radio station there mm-hmm. um, and through that kind of got involved in journalism and the music industry so I did a lot of work experience working for record labels whilst I was at um, university and then immediately after leaving got a job in London for a company which at the time was known as EMAP um, now they're known as Bauer um, they were a publishing company or are a publishing company specialised in magazines and I worked on sort of the men's mag portfolio so Arena magazine which uh, might not be familiar with people but was the first ever uh, men's mag of the sort of generation of them that you got in the 80s and 90s uh, and Zoo, Empire, Kerrang, Mojo Q, and all of those ones. So I had a, um, a really long job title when I started there. So I was assistant to the group managing editor, um, which doesn't really mean a lot to most people. Even the people when I was working there, they weren't necessarily sure. But essentially, my job was to go through the magazine, and as as you might know from um, you know. The publishing world they work with lots of freelancers so freelance photographers freelance writers um, free freelance illustrators um, models and you know lighting technicians and all sorts, all sorts of people like that mm-hmm. so my job was to go through the magazine and try and work out well how much did it actually cost to produce so how much had um, that article um, that was an interview with you know film star x um, how much did we spend on flights sending the journalists out there? What was the bar bill in the hotel that they were doing and kind of bringing all that together? So it was quite interesting, um, you know, really sort of in the midst of kind of quite an exciting organisation and, you know, kind of it, you know, its own sort of way quite showbiz, even though I was doing boring admin in, in that context. But it felt kind of exciting to open up these magazines that you've read before with your name kind of there in the smallest print on the masthead. Uh, so I did that, but inevitably... Um, you know, the internet was a very big deal for the company, but um, wasn't necessarily allocated the the effort that it was required at the time. So it was very easy for me as the kind of admin guy to get the chance to write for a couple of the websites. So I did mostly Zoom magazine, gadget reviews and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, did a little bit of that, not a lot, but kind of in the process of trying to get better at writing for the web, discovered SEO. Um, and I've been making the journey from Brighton to London every day, spending more on my train fare than I did on my rent. Um, and so I was kind of keen to stop making that commute and you know happened across um, a few SEO agencies based down here in Brighton so uh, Brighton does very very well for digital marketing but it's got like um, a firm who are now known as iCrossing um, who were one of the first big SEO agencies in the UK and around them you know dozens of really good sort of digital marketing agencies specializing in SEO so joined one of them as a as a junior and there was three people there and you know then it became five people and and kind of grew with that there and got involved in SEO conferences as a speaker did a couple of those and then found myself kind of going oh, I reckon I could have a go at this so that's kind of how I started organizing events and now I do event organizing rather than the SEO but because I've come from that background I've hopefully got a good idea of the people who want to attend our events, what they're interested in, what their challenges they're facing, and how we can, you know, you know, help them do their job a little bit better. Okay. So you talk about some of the challenges that they're facing. What about the sort of challenges that you face, sort of starting rough agenda, yeah. um, 
going out and starts you know growing this conference yeah. business yeah I mean it's ours is a slightly strange journey in most businesses um, when people start them they kind of either pack in the day job or finish up at university or whatever it is and kind of decide I am going to set up my own business whereas ours was slightly different so I was working at a digital agency called Site Visibility and um, as I say I'd spoken at a few conferences and decided to book a pub um, and invite a few people along to do some talks and put a bit of money behind the bar from um, another company who were kind of friendly with us and yeah it was never really a business it was just like a, a trip to the pub for want of a better description and then more people showed up than we had seats so we then um, went to a slightly larger venue um, we then moved actually to the, into the building we're recording this today so the Salis Benny that was our did third you? Brighton SEO we did oh. there so we hired the, um, the space there and yeah like rapidly it became you know we got sponsorship to fund the event so it didn't cost any money beyond the time I was doing the kind of like you know sneaking off around the, the normal work I had to do mm-hmm. and eventually it became apparent well there's a bit of a business idea here so we it started off within the agency I had a conversation with them saying I think we've got an idea here that um, could work well can I spend a day a week on it um, and they were kind of quite happy with that and we kind of came up with a organizational structure whereby the agency the, the main shareholder and I'm kind of the, the, the next biggest shareholder individually and over time went from being it's a day a week so I'm working on it full-time and we've got a team and you know in many ways we're just as big as the, the agency now in terms of kind of you know some of the key measures that you might use to mm-hmm. to look at the success there and yeah so h- how do we start that is like I, I think you know my advice to other people would be is um, if there's an element of a project or work that you would enjoy doing even if it wasn't a business that's not a terrible place to start mm-hmm. um, you need to be able to make money at it but we were, I was kind of quite fortunate that you know, let's try a thing that's really low risk. I didn't go out and kind of have to immediately be finding, um, you know, my rent payment every month. It was a kind of the first few events just had to break even, which was really nice to have the flexibility of working in a day job whilst being able to do that. Now, not every business is going to allow uh, people the flexibility to do that. I was very fortunate at Site Visibility that they, you know, saw it was growing and kind of lent into that. But it, you can do similar things in kind of like freelancing or moonlighting. I've seen a lot of kind of really good businesses start up where it's someone kind of working evenings and weekends or they've kind of gone, well, actually, I'm going to go down to four days a week at work and take the extra day a week to work on that project. And, mm. you know, that's a really good thing about university. I kind of looking back, I, you know, I did quite well in terms of because I was DJing and making money from that at that point in time. Um, but I had a bit of free time um um, whilst lots of my friends working part-time jobs I was able to do the DJing that funded all the other bits and pieces so I probably had the time to start some bits up there and I certainly think that opportunity while you might have that you know downtime between lessons when other you know if you're fortunate enough to not have to be working in the supermarket or whatever there's you know it's a good time to sort of try some things out you know start earning a bit of money and you know you know see if that's the type of thing you, you want to do and even if it doesn't turn into a business that's really powerful right because then when you're applying for jobs you can demonstrate this expertise that I did the type of work that I'm then trying to do for them and then in many cases you might have you know um, got some really practical experiences very similar to the type of work you'd want to do and you know an employee's mad not to take on the kind of person who's you know tried those types of things out mm-hmm. yeah um, so you talked a little bit there about 
the, the agency stuff and their role in starting up the conference. What, could you sort of explain a bit more about the business model behind yep. the conference? How do you make money? Because a lot of people are looking at, oh, yeah. it's all free tickets. And yeah, yeah. So it's a, it's a Confex, which is kind of, I suppose, a bit of a sort of technical industry term, which means it's a conference and exhibition. So um, whilst the majori majority of our tickets are free, um, and when I was talking about them selling out, they were the, the free tickets that were selling out at that time. Um, we have essentially, for the main event, and most of our smaller events work on a similar model, we have three main um, revenue streams. So we have um, sponsorship. So because we have 4,000 people who are interested in search marketing all in one building at one point in time, there are people who are selling products or services to those um, to those, our attendees are their customers. Mm -hmm. So if you've got that kind of you know, um, situation, you can always make money from sponsorship. Now over time, that started from a few hundred quid here and there to kind of more substantial deals now of larger organizations. Um, so that's probably about where 50% on average of our, of our revenue comes from, where you know, we are going to usually software companies who sell software to search marketers and say, Here's our audience. Would you like to reach them? They buy exhibition space. They, you know, buy delegate bags that have their logos on, logos on lanyards. They, you know, we hire out the Concorde too. Someone's paid for that. Um, so all of those things are kind of sponsored. That's about where fifty percent comes from. And then the other fifty percent is ticket sales, of which um, we've got like two main types of ticket that we sell. So they, um, one of those is so there's the main conferences on a Friday. Um, but we also run training courses on the Thursday. They're about 500, 600 quid a ticket. Um, and we run 20 odd, 20, I think we've got 25 for the next one, uh, 25 different courses. And we take 25 rooms with 25 trainers and they'll vary from, I don't know, half a dozen people in a, in a room to 40 people. And that's a sort of like a, a day of training and people are prepared because they're, you know, these skills around digital marketing are quite, either new or you know the teams are growing and expanding so they want to be able to skill up their team so mm -hmm. you know that's probably about 30 percent of the overall revenue that we do in the business and that kind of 20 percent that's the that makes up the 50 and makes up the 100 mm -hmm. um, are what we know as friends tickets so that's essentially because the free tickets sell out so quickly we're able to sell a proportion of those tickets we hold them back and they're like a vip ticket um, and the VIP ticket gets you, you know, a, a T-shirt, you know, guaranteed access to the tickets when they've sold out, a goodie bag and all of that type of thing. Mm -hmm. And the, the change that we're kind of seeing over time is that because the event's getting ever more popular, which is fortunate for us, um, the proportion of those free tickets we're kind of decreasing slowly over time. So we're not ever going to switch, I think, to an entirely paid-for ticketing model because... We like the variety of people who come when you've got a, a free ticket. Mm. But we are kind of going, we're, we're sort of faced with a decision where either we find bigger venues, which isn't going to happen in Brighton for us, mm. uh, or at least until the new um, arena's built, which, you know, has been five, ten years away for five or ten years. So, um, so yeah, we're kind of like, we have a decision. We either start to do some things to kind of reduce the demand a little bit. Right. Um, or we move to London and we don't want to do that because we're not big fans of London. So, um, yeah, we're playing with that. But that's where the model money comes from. And that's not like for events businesses, um, a combination of sponsorship and ticket sales is very 
you know very standard where different events businesses vary is the breakdown between those and the price points that they have and you know um you know like some businesses have this idea of delicate sales where you know they've got a team going out to try and persuade people to buy tickets mm. but for us we don't really do that we just do marketing instead and that works quite well um, and we're very fortunate that because we're running it every six months because we've got this kind of really interesting story about where we came from we're from the community um, we're able to run it with a really small team which means that um, whilst you know it's quite you know profitable and does well we've not um, what a big mistake I can see businesses particularly in the early stages make is that they kind of assume more staff equals more success and kind of we've gone well actually I'm the only full-time employee but we've got a team of like seven or eight who are working probably anywhere from half the week to three quarters of the week but allow them to work around children allow them to work around other projects mm-hmm. um, and then a, a broader network of maybe 20 or 30 people who will do from you know three or four days a year for us to you know three or four days a month and mm-hmm. you know this kind of flexible network of people who are you know a lot of us are based in Sussex or nearby um, but you know we don't all work in the same office we're a remote distributed team and you know a sign to me that that worked well is that our designer managed to move from Worthing to France and a couple of the team didn't realise you know like so that's kind of to me that's a you know like philosophically I have I think it's kind of bonkers in a lot of cases whereby you've got the huge amount of time, effort, stress and money that people go into to travelling to places mm. that for a lot of businesses is just completely not required. Um, I mean, like for a university, it makes sense, right? Because there's, there's a benefit that physical, mm. you know, all being in the same place. But the amount of like office jobs where actually people are in an open plan office trying to kind of block out everyone else with headphones on um, when they could be working just as efficiently in a spare bedroom or a converted garage or whatnot is... It, you know, are, there any, to me. are there any downsides that you've noticed at all to this? Um, I mean, there, there are. I mean, there's certainly that there's certain roles that we have in the business that don't tend to have that, you know, ecosystem of freelance um, work. So, for example, business development and sales is mm. one that, like, feels we've, like, as a business, struggled to find people who can kind of solve that problem that we've got. We're quite fortunate that a lot of our business is inbound, so actually people are coming to us and say, what can we do with you? Right. Um, so we're able to kind of resource that in a slightly different way. But if we wanted to be more aggressive in our growth and wanted to go out and ask people to do that, that's quite a tricky one to get right there. Mm. Um, you know, you get all the usual kind of misunderstandings around, you know, predominantly being email and all of that sort of stuff. That's But I got that just as much when you sat next to the person, you've emailed them. In fact, actually, to some cases, it's kind of worse because... Uh, that's there but you do need a certain kind of um, it's a skill set um, or a kind of way of working that you know you need to have in order to work in that distributed way but then when we're at the events we spend you know best part of a week you know 14 16 hours days in each other's pockets so mm-hmm. it's kind of quite nice sometimes after those intense periods of kind of all being really close together to kind of go actually maybe we won't see you know each other face to face for a couple of weeks um, because yeah, you like I, I find I'm not a big fan of um, like it's very easy when you're in a um, in an office, for example, to kind of go okay, everyone, let's get twenty people in a room for an hour long meeting, and you kind of go, well, that's twenty hours of you know of work there that's gone on. So mm-hmm. it tends to encourage you to make the right sort of communication that you need to do in that one. It lends itself to my personality and the you know personalities of the team, but mm-hmm. I certainly think. 
you know, if you're finding yourself in an environment where you're not liking that, that, that these businesses and these approaches do exist. Yeah. You mentioned the majority of your marketing is inbound. Mm. Yeah. Uh, what, so what works for you? What? How do you manage to sell these tickets? You know, by yeah. people coming to you to ask. Yeah, them? I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I mean, so in that kind of, the there's the t- the term inbound marketing, um, which is kind of an interesting one and a useful approach. Um, I mean, it's slightly different. So we do use paid um, approaches. So yeah, we don't use inbound. Our sales inquiry are inbound, i.e. we aren't doing cold calling or kind of going out to people. Right. Um, but we do use paid advertising as part of our thing. So, I mean, a big part of the success of the business has been in, I'm really interested in the ideas of like behavioral economics. So uh, people like Rory Sutherland, um, there's, you know, Thinking Fast and Slow. Um, I, I'm nudging all of those sort of, you know, those types of books which mm. might have come up on people's radars. Um, and I'm my personal favourite is Dan Airely and Predictably Irrational, and he's got like a series of TED talks that I recommend, you know, um, people check out. So a lot of these are kind of like some of the psychological principles that you know influence how people behave and think about things. Uh, and a lot of like some of those have been quite fundamental in how our business has been successful. So um, because over a series of years we've you know, fostered this scarcity of the tickets. Um, most most events um, are desperate to get any additional person through the door, and you can s- sometimes like you can pick up and smell that sort of desperation to get extra people through the door. Mm. So that makes it quite hard for people to sort of, you know, you know, we want people to feel like they're missing out if they're not attending the event. So, you know, we do the the ticket sales and the ballot and all of those are kind of they are decisions that we made early on that were kind of partially out of context and you know circumstance but also with this view being like well I'd rather run an event that was you know early doors that was 250 people that I could have done 275 for but 25 people sell, uh, miss out I'd rather lose that money the, the, the you know if you were selling tickets mm. to have the sense that those people missed out so next time around they're, they're more keen to go so that's always been part of ours these kind of you know some ideas of you know, scarcity and um, elements like that have been a, a big part of it as well. We're also, you know, the quite a, a socially um, focused business. So, you know, the cliche we tell people, and this probably sounds a bit old ha- old fashioned now, but we had a hashtag before we had a website. So, you know, the the community came from people who were talking online on Twitter. Um, and that's kind of where the, the business started, which was conversations which were occurring online and bringing that into an offline environment. And that, that was kind of powerful early on because it meant that we had a bit of a community there, a bit of, you know, that our customers existed and knew who each other were before we kind of, you know, we, you know, um, encouraged that, but mm-hmm. it was kind of there anyway. Um, so we had that, um, but even now we're doing things like, well, um, when we went through the balloting process, we could have switched to pay for tickets. There was a variety of things we could have done. So we, you know, we open that up to the audience and try and have a conversation with them. And, mm. and in many cases, they reinforce what we were already thinking, but that's very different to how a lot of events are quite often opaque and, um, you know, people sometimes feel that they're overly commercial. So we're kind of quite fortunate be- whilst we do make money, we're, you know, we're not a, uh, we're not a charity. We, you know, we're not a not-for-profit. But we do try and um, think about, you know, 
what can we do to make our community how do we help our community do their job a bit better mm-hmm. and make money whereas I think um, a lot of our competitors are sometimes the other way around which is how do we make money and then do that and, and, and we play on that right so we'll talk about you know we're, we're an SEO you know I'm an SEO who's become an event organiser whereas other events are kind of they are big event you know conglomerations that you know the, the team who are working on the digital marketing event are working on an oil and gas event the following <laughs> week and a farmer <laughs> event the week after yeah. and in many cases they're quite good events but I don't mean they're ever going to yeah there's um, elements of their approach that's always going to be a bit more cynical than, than we can be yeah um, just going back to your marketing and your, the payment so what kind of I don't, do you need to be specific you know, what sort of money do you need to put into paid advertising to um, well we're not spending huge business. amounts of money um, so we do a mixture of Facebook um, we don't do Twitter so much now um, and AdWords but we're actually doing a lot of display through AdWords so um, AdWords being the paid search platform that Google have very very good at um the paid search text advert stuff very very good at sort of capturing demand um but for us that's not necessarily a huge opportunity because not lots of people searching for seo conference mm. um or certainly you know if they are they're probably already familiar with us so there's a, a challenge there sometimes for the specific training courses that can be a, a good one for paid search but mostly we're using adwords to do retargeting so where we've got like i say the training offering that occurs the day beforehand so if i'm able to say um, this person has visited our advanced Google Analytics training course page uh, and not made a purchase. I can then serve them text, images, or kind of any adverts mm. um, on other websites, reminding them about the course. Um, and for us, that's a big um, opportunity because, in, in some cases, if they were going to book anyway, that's you know uh, good for us because like the cash flow benefit of having early bookings is really beneficial or at least even not cash flow just like knowing that a course is going to have 20 people rather than 10 people is incredibly powerful for us um so that's what we do but in terms of spend like you know now it adds up and it you know it's it's hundreds or thousands of pounds um a week or month depending on where we're at Mm. but when we were first doing it you know you can have display retargeting campaigns running on a five or a month really it all i mean with all of the advertising it's always useful to know your business model and know your margins and know what you can afford to spend. So, you know, coming from a marketing background, the amount of people I would see who are running paid search campaigns, who are getting lots of traffic through to their website, often selling a lot of what it is that they're selling, but only to find six months, 12 months down the line that they're not very profitable business and then not really being sure. And it often you work it back, it's because they're spending more on the advertising than they can afford. So, yeah, that... that early on um, I think in any business that appreciation of you know um, what's the, there's kind of like revenue versus profit and like mm. you know you know, uh, profit is sanity reven- revenue is vanity which is one of these horrible cheesy um, kind of business advice things but it's, it's quite powerful I think it's very easy and I myself are included in this that I often concentrate on how do we sell more how do we make our revenue number the total amount of money that we're bringing into the business um, as high as possible and that's a good thing to be doing but actually you start to realize sometimes not every grand of revenue is equal mm. if it costs you 900 quid to deliver that grand that's you'd be much better off doing 500 quid of something that delivers 500 quid mm-hmm. so yeah appreciating the costing involved and advertising is a cost um is a yeah, really powerful 
you know business lesson to learn I suppose yeah excellent yeah um, talk us through some of the logistical challenges of running an event like a sort of Brighton SEO size let's say I've never run mm. an event before and I'm about to what don't I know about what's yeah. going to happen here what's going to cause me some big headaches yeah I mean I think any kind of large scale event um, is challenging I mean what's been fortunate for us is that we've evolved over time so like I say we started small and and got big um, so I think you know if the, if someone had come to me I don't know five years ago and said run the event like it is now I, I don't think we would have been able to I don't think I would have had the skills mm. to be able to and I think I even would have struggled to find the people who would be able to do that so we were quite fortunate that we've went through this kind of iterative process of trying things out learning from them and being six monthly has actually probably been like which was an entirely flippant decision when we first started uh, that wasn't a huge strategic decision. It just sort of happened that we did it like that. It's been a huge sort of element of our success because we don't forget what went, we like. We're quite good at capturing things that we learn in the event and trying to immediately turn them into things that we improve the next event. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I think that there's huge logistical challenges in any kind of complex business. But I suppose it's trying to understand the bits that are important and the bits that aren't important. And actually, it's very easy to get caught up in the de- nitty gritty details of things that probably aren't going to necessarily have a huge impact on the event so we have a good team and we decide who's doing the bits within those teams and then kind of hopefully if I'm not being a horrible boss I'm like letting people get on with it where they're the the right person to do that and then kind of nipping in and out where I can add value um, and yeah that, that kind of start simple and then find what you're doing I think is yeah is been a big part of our success so we've got processes and like so I'll often, I often speak at other events and I'll kind of go through the process as a speaker of what they're doing with their speakers mm. and I'm amazed by kind of how inefficient or uh, disorganized some of those processes are so for example like a, a conference like ours you we've got 100 plus speakers um, and there are other events that similar sort of size maybe a bit less speak I don't know 50 speakers and they'll still be kind of getting everyone individually to email in their description with no, like, tell us what you're going to talk about. And then they're kind of extracting it from an email when I real brief of what it is. Whereas we've just got a form. And it like it's stuff like that. It's like it's dull and admin-y. But all these little bits like that that we've happened our way across by trying to not just add more people to the team mm. um, has a huge impact now. And kind of like that, our, our approach is always, you know, how can we you know do it what's the simplest way we can do it with the least amount of time and effort put into it um and yeah that's allowed us now to have this quite big event on what would otherwise be seen as quite a small team and that's because we've got really good you know my team and my freelancers who i work with are really good yeah um so that helps a huge amount and a lot of us haven't come from a um, exhibition conference backgrounds so tom who's like our head of operations um you know, he's come from like an arts and um, you know leisure kind of background. So when White Night, which was a big event that used to run in, in Brighton, he was one of the organisers of that. He did the first TEDx Brighton as well. Um, and so he's always come with like this arts and community stuff is often kind of funded on very small budgets. So actually, now that we've got kind of corporate money to spend, we can do a lot with that. Whereas I think if I'd got someone from a kind of like who does you know press launches for BA or Virgin or whatever they would probably look at our budget and go how how do you make that work and mm. you know having that attitude is a good one mm. you mentioned the team there so, so how many people are sort of involved in the delivery of Brighton SEO um, so the core team are working like year round um, there's 
Nicola, who's like head of partnerships. There's Tom, who's head of operations. And we've got two exhibition coordinators, um, yeah, coordinators, uh, which is Andrea and Emily. And they're mostly working actually around childcare, so they're like doing two and a half days a week, that sort of type of environment, and often have other projects on the go as well. So they're kind of entrepreneurs, in some cases, in their own right, which is kind of quite nice. Mm. Um, and then we've got designers, web developers, you know, technical production team who kind of do, you know, I don't know, three or four days in the run up to and during the event, mm. and then a whole series of freelancers who kind of come in for, for the day itself. So yeah, it's kind of, as I say, that kind of distributed team of people where they've got other projects on the go works really nicely for us because instead the alternative would be we have a perhaps smaller team, but like everyone's trying to be a generalist and I think, you know, that, you know, can work well, but for us it's nice to have, you know, a, a, a chunk of time of a specialist rather than full time of a generalist. Mm. And... In terms of finding the right people, have you learned anything along the way? Of, of um, I mean, a lot of it's personal recommendations. I mean, I'd, I'd like to say that, like, like Tom and Nicola have been with us the longest. Um, you know, the process we went through to, you know, um, interview them was relatively simple compared to some of the ones we've gone through subsequently and had much better. You know, the simple process was, uh, <laughs> you know, worked better than the the complex one. Mm. Um, so I think it's kind of. Yeah, having a network is useful. So kind of, you know, a lot of the team as it's expanded, Andrea came via Nicola, Emmeline came via the fact that she organises another event similar to ours. And, you know, this kind of like being out there and, you know, networking face-to-face -face or networking online or at least being kind of aware of the organisations that exist and who's involved with them. It's been incredibly powerful for us. So kind of like, you know, knowing Wide Sussex there and being able to tap into that has been powerful. Um, you know, the fact that you know Brighton as a city is really really good for tech events so kind of just being aware of the other events that are happening has allowed us to kind of go our uh, Julie who's kind of worked with us on one of our smaller events also organises Full Frontal which is a you know incredibly well um, you know recognised um, like um, front end development um, conference so kind of going keeping an eye for oh that conference is occurring at the you know the the Duke of York's down by um, London Road for us was kind of going ah there's someone else who we didn't necessarily know we can then approach to to do that so kind of I suppose always having your eye on who you're going to be able to want to work with is is powerful I think if you're employing people it's still good advice to do that uh, but for us it's freelancers we're kind of going well who's who's working on projects that we really like and admire uh, but it might not be keeping them busy all year round is definitely the way that we found a lot of the people that we work with right and then sort of looking a bit more personally now, you know, you're somebody that's sort of led the success mm. of this project, or you've led this project, mm. the Brighton SEO. What do you think's driven your success personally, you know, as a founder? Um, I mean, my ego, if I'm <laughs> fair, honest about it. I mean, I think the event, sort of like the the, the nexus of the event was me kind of going, I, I very early on in my career, probably too early on in my career, um, got opportunities like the podcast, um, like speaking at conferences and events, and kind of got, of this opinion like well I know what I'm doing here I, I can understand this better than all of these other people who are organising events or all these other people who are um, you know putting these things on so kind of you know that early on definitely was a motivator that kind of validation of the success and certainly as we've gone on the things like the speed of the tickets selling out and all of that uh, thing have been like little you know things that I've seen as measures of that uh, so I certainly mean that's kind of been a personal drive of it I mean I love the SEO community so it's kind of it feels like um, I would hope if 
if I hadn't have started Brighton SEO, someone else would have done something similar, and I would be attending that, and I would be, you know, um, enjoying that, and you know, offering advice to the people who are organising it on how I think they can improve that. So that's a nice kind of personal motivator that we've got there, and it allows me to do, you know, we've done some really like unconventional, probably stupid things over the years around the event that, you know, for me is kind of hugely gratifying and kind of weirdly motivates me like so last time around we did an intro video where i bought a sinclair c5 drove it around the brighton center recording a video intro which you know we could have just done sat in a chair but like you know that you know 250 quid whatever it was we sent on spent on sinclair c5 now means we have a sinclair c5 that we can use in the team and you know it's not like the most practical vehicle in the world to use <laughs> but sort of like that's something like i've always wanted to drive one of those so kind of like yeah if you can create a business environment where um, it's you're, you're making money, but it's also allowing you to do things that you'd really want to be doing anyway. That's you know great. I'm not a big traveller. I don't like travelling, but I know that like that's a similar kind of one that often people use, which is kind of going, well, how do I use my business as a means to travel to the places that I want to do? And if you're able to kind of get some of these kind of personal things that you want to achieve aligned with some of the business ones, that, that's when you're doing well, I think, because. You know, money and success and all that is very helpful. Uh, but being able to kind of do things where you're finding it fun as well. Not every aspect of it's fun, but if there's enough of it that's kind of meaning that when that you've got to do the boring, unfun bits, you're kind of thinking about the next fun thing you're going to be working on. Mm. You know, that that that's a motivator for me personally. Yeah. And has anyone in particular or any things or particularly inspired you in, in business or in life? Um, I mean, like I say, I'm a big fan of a lot of the like the behavioural economists we talk about. Well, not even if they're behavioural, people are talking about behavioural um, economics. So people like Roy Sutherland, who we talked about as well. And I know I don't read a lot of him now because um, I'm kind of past that. But like a lot of the Seth Godin and stuff for me was kind of quite influential early on in my career. Um, so I think, you know, it's... You know, and I, I've read stuff like Tim Ferriss's Four Hour Work Week, which you know he's now like a self help guru and probably a bit mortifying to me. But at the time, that book um, kind of was quite powerful to me because it does talk a lot about um, you know distributed teams, which again is like Signal versus Noise, which is the people who formed Basecamp. Yeah, Jason Fried. Yeah, that's the chap. Yeah. Um, so a lot of those stuff early on were kind of quite influential on me, and I think that relatively early in your career those kind of ideas of what it is that shape um, your philosophy of how you go about business I think are quite powerful and I think whenever you're going through that it, it's going to be a, like a timely thing to a certain extent mm. you know like there are a lot of people I kind of meet that um, like Clue Train Manifesto was one that was really big of it I don't really have much time for that but I can see why people really like it so it you know it's I think it's that early on having you know a uh, an open mind for things that are kind of going to influence you is incredibly powerful um, to do that. And for me, it was kind of, yeah, a lot of these kind of, it was writers who also did TED Talks, I'll be completely honest. Um, and for other people, it will be different things, but kind of finding that, you know, um, yeah, that philosophy or kind of hodgepodge of ideas that are important to you mm. um, is quite powerful. And for me, it was, yeah, it was those kind of TED speakers at the time. Mm. Okay, so finishing off, um, sort of traditional to ask about what's the future for you, um, but I wanted to just throw in a sort of mm. typical business plan yeah. element, and that was the the SWOT analysis. Yeah. So, what do you see as the sort of strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, yeah. and threats? Um, oh, there we go. Um, so, I think that the big strength for us is that increasingly, 
um, for Brighton SEO is that we've become, I still think of us as an upstart and like a, a, a rival to the existing conferences and events that are out there. That isn't actually the case. Um, you know, we're, we're def definitely the biggest event in Europe and arguably the biggest event in the world. Um, so, you know, that's our strength, right? So we've got this position where um, people are coming to learn and do, you know, we, obviously they're coming to learn and do their job a bit better. They're coming to meet other SEOs. And being big like that is really beneficial um, for um, the fact that we don't have to worry about our programming in, it in the same way as other events do. So it has to be really, really good speakers and the education that we provide, but they're probably going to come anyway. So the education then is a challenge of how do we make people come back? So I think that's kind of it, strength to weakness there is that the strength is, is that we've got this scale now that, that, that does very, very well for us, but that becomes a weakness as well. So, you know, um, and it starts to lead into opportunities and the way that SWATs do whenever you do these. But the weakness is um, that because it's so large, it's very hard if you're attending for the first time to get the same experience as someone who would have done if they'd attended five years ago. Um, and that becomes an opportunity for us. The opportunity is, well, how do we find elements of our event that are more intimate or more easy for people to kind of start with or if they're a regular attendee how do they continue to get value um, as, as the event goes on so for us that's increasingly going to mean that the event becomes multi-day um, so already for a number of years we've got the training running um, which is very very good as an additional day if you're more junior to do that um, we've got Measure Fest, which is an event that we've run for a few years, is now becoming more of a part of Brighton SEO. So that's on the Thursday. That's for intermediate um, web analytics and CRO people. Um, and hopefully, I would imagine that for if that's your specialism, that the Friday is great because everyone's there. But actually, the value is going to be in that that Thursday. So what our plan is more of how do we slice up this audience in a way that means that they get a much better experience and for us means that there's additional opportunities to make money from additional ticket sales or additional sponsorship. Um, so that, that's definitely the opportunity. So we see, you know, we're a million miles away from events like South by Southwest and Cairns Lions. Um, but I'd like, to, I'd like us to be in five or six years more like that than, than a single day event. Um, where there'll be people who nip in and do their 24 hours, have an amazing 24 hours. Someone else nips in and does 24 hours, but it's a completely different experience. But because it's in the same place at the same time, there's a kind of you know, cumulative effect of that. Mm. So that's definitely the opportunity. The threat is that you know you definitely become more risk averse as you become larger. Um, I think all kinds of organisations do. I am, you know, I think if I was evaluating the decision to launch Brighton SEO now in the context of the business as we are, we probably wouldn't have done it in the first place. You see what I mean? So there's kind of, there's certainly a, a risk averseness that you take there as well. And indeed in the same way that we've been, uh, we were able to start up relatively easily with small budgets, the competitors are doing the same. So, um, you know, there's lots of events who we're very friendly with, um, who at the moment I don't feel necessarily a kind of, you know, reducing our ability to, to be successful as a business. But, you know the budgets that sponsors have to spend on sponsorship is finite the ticket revenue that people mm. have sorry the ticket budgets that they've got to spend on events is finite and and just the time as well so as more and more events you know there's always been lots but there are lots of specialist search events lots of them very local very well curated and put together 
um, that do exceptionally good at what they're trying to do. Mm. So we're kind of going, well, in that place where they're occurring, what's the value of, of what we do? And we think that's kind of being, being having so many people who are interested in the topic and so many different options and variety, we think is probably the way that we're going to be able to do that while still staying quite specialist in search. So there's lots of really great generalist digital marketing events, um, but they tend to be very shallow. They're broad and shallow. We want to be deep in what we cover, but how do we broaden the deepness? Which probably is a horrible way of putting it, but that's kind of what we see as the, the scope there is how do we continue to be so deep as we currently are, but making sure that that's, you know, as many people are interested in, in search or at least performance led digital marketing can find some really great stuff there. Great. Thank you very much, Kelvin, sharing all that. It's excellent insights, um, really useful. Um, I was just wondering, so I think yep. all the ballot allocation's gone yep. now. If anyone wants to get involved, is there still an opportunity? Um, yeah, I mean, it's a few yeah. different ways. Um, lots of sponsors give away tickets. Um, so it's definitely worth keeping an eye on the hashtag Brighton SEO. Um, so um, hashtag Brighton SEO. Yeah. We also do occasionally um, work with volunteers as well. So if people are prepared to help us out a bit with the registration process, okay. we can sort out tickets there as well. Um, but yeah, basically, if yeah, if people are interested in attending, yeah, check out um, um, usually on Twitter, um, Brighton SEO, and you know there there'll be ways of getting involved if people want to there as well, or indeed actually even just you know putting yourself on the mailing list and being available for future events because trust me, they come around very very quickly. Right. Thanks. Excellent. Kevin. Cheers. Thanks for having me. So that was Kelvin's story. To find out more about Brighton SEO, go to brightonseo.com. And the best way to keep track of Be Purple is to go to bepurple.co.uk and sign up for our newsletter. We're also on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook using the account name UOBBPurple. That's B-E-E-P-U-R-P-L-E. Thanks for listening.